Our scripture reading today comes from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I know I've shared a little bit of this before, but when I was in high school, uh, I had never yet met Jesus. I had been exposed to Christianity, uh, and I knew lots of different Christians and even different kinds of Christians. I knew Protestants and Catholics, and I even knew a few Eastern Orthodox Christians. Uh, And I would talk to them about Jesus, and I uh, I would actually argue against Jesus at certain times. I had certain assumptions concerning Jesus, but I had never once encountered him. Never. Until I read the book of John. This book that we're actually looking at together these next few weeks. And I actually have this really distinct memory. Um, When I graduated from high school, I was in my bedroom. And uh, I was in a place of searching. I, I I was discontent with my life. I was unhappy. Uh, I, I had a bunch of questions about meaning and life and purpose that I, I, I was not finding good answers to. And uh, the answers I, I was getting from people and friends and books, they, they were not helping. They were not explaining uh, the experience I was having, the, the thoughts and feelings I was, I was having. And out of the blue, this, this night in my room, uh, this old voice pops into my head, and I don't even know who it was, but someone along the way they told me this, and this came rushing back to me, and it was, read the Bible. (laughs) Read it yourself. 
And I, I was in my room and I was, this thought kept occurring to me and I, thought, I kept shaking my head like, that's dumb, I don't want to do that. There's nothing there for me. But I couldn't shake it. It was like an itch in my brain. It's like, read the Bible, do it now. And so I, I late at night, snuck out of my room, I found like an old RSV Bible, a revised standard version Bible in my house. Like I took it back to my room and I turned to the book of John because again, somewhere deep in the recesses of my mind, someone had told me, if you're going to like cold turkey, just read the Bible, start with the book of John. So I turned there and I started reading and I, for the first time, I met Jesus in this book. I did not understand most of what I was reading. There's a lot, right? It's a lot there to learn. Uh, but what I did understand, and, and this is the part that set me on a trajectory that changed my life forever, what I did understand was that this Jesus was different. And once I saw him, I couldn't look away. And that's still pretty much true. Now, what I didn't know uh, was that my experience of, of needing to see Jesus for myself at some point along my journey to faith is, is actually something we've all got to do. That's a part of all of our stories. And that's the part, that's actually the point of the story, the text we just read in John. If you noticed, there are five people in this story. Andrew, and then an unnamed disciple, probably John himself, the writer of the gospel. Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. Okay? Five people who are different people. They have different questions. They have different motivations. They have different backgrounds, different issues, different jobs. Okay? All of it. But all of them come and see Jesus for the first time here in this text. And it changes them forever. So if you're here this morning, I want you to recognize with me as we, as we start if you're here, Christian or not, wherever you fall on this spectrum right now, you and I are links in a chain that go all the way back to this story right here. Somebody pointed you to Jesus. And whether that was years and years of conversation or an awkward blurted out testimony, whatever it was, it beckoned you to come and see for yourself. That's at least part of why each one of us is here. And this is what John is inviting us to do as well. No matter who we are, come and see. Come and see Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I want us to be, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 1. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, it's the fourth book in your New Testament. Chapter 1, but we're actually all the way down in verse 35. And what I want us to notice together is that John paints a picture of at least three different kinds of people. And how they come to see Jesus and how he responds to them. Uh, so we actually will start with John the Baptist. So that's verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, if you were here last week, Pastor Don had a whole message on John the Baptist. And, and she pointed out that the main drive of John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare and point to Jesus. That was it. If you missed that sermon, go check it out. It's on our website. Here again, John the Baptist says the same thing that he said last week in our sermon together. He says, Behold the Lamb 
of God when he sees Jesus. But this time, two people actually listen to him. Verse 37, the two disciples heard John say this and they followed Jesus. So if you, if you didn't know this, John the Baptist, as he was doing ministry, he was preaching and teaching uh, by the Jordan, baptizing people in repentance, he actually had his own group of students, his own group of disciples who spent more time with him. To, you know, to greater or lesser commitment levels, he had his own group of disciples. And two of them are right here. Uh, and they hear John say this about Jesus, and they peel away from John, and they begin to follow Jesus. But what I love the way John tells the story, because you get the impression they're following Jesus, but they're kind of cautious about it. So if you look at verse 37, the two disciples heard John say this, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following. So the idea is like it's like two stray dogs that are just literally following Jesus around at a distance, hoping someone will take them home. Uh, and these, uh, so Jesus has to turn and address them, and he asks them a very direct question. He says, what are you seeking? It's verse 38. What are you seeking? It's a profound question. If you pay attention to John's gospel, you'll notice that throughout there are just these profound questions. This is one of them. What are you seeking? Now, the two disciples, uh, and John will tell us later, one of them is Andrew, uh, and, uh, and most commentators assume that the other one who isn't named is probably John himself, the, the writer of this gospel, uh, which I think is likely, um, but they don't try to answer Jesus' question out in the open here. He says, what are you seeking? What they're seeking is probably really personal and intense, and that's a long, longer conversation. So instead, they ask Jesus, well, Jesus, where are you staying? So the idea there is kind of like, well, Jesus, could we grab coffee? Like, can we get out from the open and actually talk and answer your question? And uh, we get, uh, for the first time, the refrain that John will use again. Jesus said, verse 39, come and you will see. Come and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. So in our reckoning of time, that's about 4 p.m. It's about 4 in the afternoon. So from 4 all the way through the evening, probably late into the night, they came and they saw Jesus. They have this amazing conversation with him that changes them forever. And so these two, Andrew and John, represent the first kind of person here I want to, I want to talk about. They're seekers. That's literally what Jesus calls them in his own way. He says, what are you seeking? They were seeking John the Baptist until Jesus tells them, come and see me. So if you're here and you're a seeker, you too must come and see Jesus. And here's, here's what's interesting to me about seekers. And, and, and you see it illustrated in the story. So Andrew and John, again, could be someone else, but let's assume that it's John. Uh, he, John, by the way, never names himself in this entire gospel. It's, it's part of his charm. So anyway, they're, Andrew and John, they're seeking spiritual truth. They're doing more than most of their contemporaries are doing. They're doing the extra reading. They're, they're doing the extra disciplines. They're spending extra time with John the Baptist, this crazy preacher who lives in the wilderness, right? To get closer to the truth. We're compelled by him. They were discontent with the bare minimum. They wanted to know what life was about. They want to know what is God up to. And they're seeking those answers from John. They're probably, again, we don't, 
we don't totally know this, but probably, if I had to guess, are moral people who care about right and wrong, upstanding citizens, they're good family men, if they're right, all of that. From the outside looking in, we would say these are these are really good Jewish boys. And none of that was enough. Their earnestness, their goodness, their effort, those are not bad things, but they are not enough. They have to come and see Jesus. They have to do that. And I wonder if some of us are, are seekers too. And we, and we come to church, and if we're parents, we take our kids to children and student ministries, and we, and we look the part. We genuinely put effort into this whole church, religion, spiritual growth thing than most. We want to be good people. We want to be right. We want to believe the right things and live the right way and have the right friends and meet the right spouse and raise good kids and on. But none of that's bad. But maybe we aren't seeking Jesus in the midst of all that. Because we can seek all kinds of stuff. We can, as John puts it here, right? We can be content with John the Baptist until we hear John the Baptist say, I am not the point. The most profound thing John teaches in all of his ministry is, I am not what you are looking for. He is. Until we hear Jesus say, no, come and see me. What you need is me. We've missed the point entirely. Maybe this is a moment to examine yourself and ask yourself, am I going through, as I think about my faith, am I going through the motions or am I seeking Jesus, right? Am Am I in this room right now because my parents taught me to be here, my family expects me to be here, my kids need me to be here, or am I fundamentally here because I'm seeking Jesus and I want to be with his people, So these two disciples, they don't experience the transformation they are seeking until they seek Jesus. As helpful as it was for them to learn from John and to probably receive his baptism and his preparation, none of that mattered if they don't meet Jesus. That's the point. Then everything changes from that moment on. Look at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So if if you're familiar with the New Testament, that name Peter should ring a bell. He's a really important person in the biblical history. Uh, So Peter's, he'll become better known as the Apostle Peter later in the Bible. He is the first senior pastor of the first church ever in the world in the book of Acts in Jerusalem. He wrote two epistles that are in your Bible Right now, tradition tells us that when he was finally executed for his faith in Jesus in Rome, he demanded that he be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die the same death as his Lord Jesus. That Peter, okay, that guy is who Andrew goes and finds. It's his brother. And here's what's interesting to me. Andrew and Peter are from the same town. They have the same job. Okay, they owned a small fishing business together. They grew up in the same house. They have the same background, similar stories, histories, family of origin, right? All of that. One of them is seeking with John the Baptist. 
and the other one isn't. One of them wants the truth, wants something more. One of them and the other is just at work, trying to get by. At least that's the impression we get when you put the gospel accounts together. Now, John, the gospel writer, doesn't feel the need to tell us all the details about these first disciples. In fact, he assumes, if you, if you pay attention, you'll notice John basically assumes that you've already read one of the other accounts of Jesus. That's why he feels free to tell us that Andrew is Peter's brother before we know who Peter is. We haven't been introduced to Peter yet, but he assumes you know who Peter is. You know, if I tell you Andrew is Peter's brother, you know exactly who I'm talking about. So we know that the encounter that John describes here between these disciples and Jesus is likely one of a few before their ministry began in earnest together. On one such occasion, this is recorded in Luke chapter 5, Jesus asks Peter, who is fishing near him, if, if he can get in his boat and preach to the crowd. So Jesus would get out on the boat with Peter and he'd go out into the middle of the water and the water acts as an acoustic, right? It's a great acoustic tool if you're trying to talk to a lot of people. So Peter does that and uh, Peter's listening to Jesus teach. He's right next to him. As Jesus blows the crowd away and they leave saying, no one teaches like this guy. And the whole time, Peter's just trying to fish. (laughs) In fact, Luke tells us that Peter was up all night trying to make a living. And he caught nothing, not a zilch. And when Jesus now offers to help Peter, he says, Peter, put your nets in now. See what happens. Which, by the way, right, it's the worst time of day to fish when Jesus tells Peter to do this. Peter basically says, you know, Jesus, we already tried that. Like, Peter rolls his eyes at the Messiah. Now, if you want to know how that story ends, you've got to go read Luke chapter 5. But we get a portrait that I think is consistent of who Peter is. And John, I think, makes the contrast clear between these two brothers. Andrew is seeking... Peter is not. Andrew cares about big questions. Peter's indifferent to them. And this is what I think John's getting at. If you're, in, if you're indifferent, come and see Jesus. Peter, as far as I can tell, is not looking for big answers in his life. He's just trying to get through his day. He's just surviving. He's caught up in the mundane but very real distractions, difficulties, problems, burdens of everyday normal life. It's not that he doesn't care about the truth. I don't think that. It just didn't make enough of a difference to his day-to-day life to make any extra effort to find it. Andrew has to go get him, has to go tell him. Verse 42, we found Messiah. Come with me. Let me show him to you. So I framed out Peter. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Maybe you're here because there's an Andrew in your life who's elbowing you in the ribs right now. I don't think Peter was hostile to Jesus. I don't think he was opposed to Jesus. He just wasn't interested right now. Jesus, I've got other stuff to do. I'm not interested right now. But what he finds out is that Jesus is very interested. Verse 42. He brought him, Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus looked at him. And said, you are Simon, the son of John. 
you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Cephas is the Aramaic version of Peter's name. It's likely what Jesus actually called him. Cephas means rock. And then John goes ahead and gives us the Greek version of Cephas, which is Peter, which also means rock. And that's the name he's mostly known by from here on out. Uh, Once you get to the book of Acts, he's called Peter. But they mean the same thing. Cephas, Peter, rock. Jesus meets this guy. And I love the intensity of this moment. He looks at him and says, there you are, my rock. I've been looking for you. I'm going to build something on your life that you can hardly imagine. Now, Peter, as we know, and as we said before, this, he is never the same after this moment. But it's different from his brother. What blows Peter away here is the realization that even if he wasn't super interested in John the Baptist and religious stuff and big questions, even if he was not seeking Jesus, he realized Jesus was seeking me. Now, maybe you're here and you don't want to be here. You're checking your phone, your watch, you're counting light fixtures. I don't know. Okay, you feel, man, I have more important things to be doing right now. I have more practical problems than anything that's been dealt with in this service so far. You just aren't interested in Jesus right now. Again, I understand. I was there too for a time until I realized as I read this book with Peter that even if I wasn't interested in him, I couldn't shake the feeling he was interested in me. And he wants to build something on your life that you can hardly imagine too. So keep coming. Let Jesus look at you and say, there you are. There you are. I found you. Keep reading this book with us. That's all I ask. Keep engaging but put yourself into this story as John wants you to, as an invitation. This is not an abstraction. This is a moment to enter in and find yourself here. And if you need to, bring your questions and your doubts. That's actually where John's going to go next. So Andrew gets Peter, and then Jesus goes to a guy named Philip. Uh, It could be Andrew who goes to get Philip, the subject of that verse is actually kind of ambiguous, but it doesn't really matter either way. Then Philip goes to a guy named Nathaniel, and this is where John spends more of his time. Nathaniel. Look at verse 45. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Phil here, God bless him, he did not take a class on cultural sensitivity and evangelism before he had this conversation with Nathaniel. Because he says two things to Nathaniel right off the bat here that put, that put Nathaniel completely on the defensive and skeptical about everything else he's going to say about Jesus. First, he mentions Joseph. Jesus, the son of Joseph. This is one of only two times that Joseph, the father of Jesus, is mentioned in the whole Gospel of John. And neither time is very positive. When it is mentioned, the other time, it is a reference to the scandal of Jesus' parentage. It's like, wait a minute. This Jesus, the son of Joseph? Okay, now remember, all of this story here, this encounter is happening in in Galilee, 
which is an area in the north uh, of Judea. So if you look at this, I know some, it can be hard to see in the back. This big orange area is Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. That's the big city, Judea. That's where the culture is. That's where everything is, okay? Then you've got that green, that kind of teal area in the middle. That's Samaria. No one likes anyone from Samaria. John, I'll deal with that later. Then you get up to Galilee, that yellow area at the very top. Galilee. This is where all that's happening. Okay? Galilee is Hickville in ancient Israel. Okay? But, and we'll come back to that in a second. So all of these guys right now are up here in, up north. My hunch is, Nathaniel, this is not a big area. Nathaniel may even know the story of Joseph and Mary. It wouldn't surprise him if he's like, wait a minute, you mean, you mean that couple that got married when she was pregnant? Just, near, just next door? That Jesus is who you want me to go see? That's strike one. Strike two, Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as I said, okay, Judea, it's the big city. Um, they don't like anyone from Galilee because if you're from Galilee, you have an accent, you sound weird, you're from up there, okay? They don't, they look down on you if you're from Galilee. The big city folk didn't like that. But apparently, even if you're from Galilee, the refrain would be, well, at least I'm not from Nazareth, okay? We don't really know why, but for whatever reason, Nazareth was just considered the lowest of the low, which is why Nathaniel says, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip doesn't really argue with him. He just repeats what, what John's been saying. He says, come and see. Just, just come with me. Meet him. See what you think. So Nathaniel with Philip, they approached Jesus, verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Okay, that's a real compliment from, from Jesus, actually. He's saying, Nathaniel, I know you. Your heart is in the right place. Now, Nathaniel says, I, how do you know me? I don't know you. I've never met you before. And then Jesus says this. It's very cryptic. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we have no idea what Jesus is referencing here. None. I can't tell you. <laughs> but apparently, the best way to make sense of this, right, is that at some point in the past day, week, month, year, who knows, Nathaniel was under a fig tree. Right? There are fig trees all over this region, so that's not unusual. And remember, if you're in a, there's no air conditioning in the ancient world, so if you're hot and it's dry, it's a dry climate and you're outside, you would rest under a tree to, to provide shade. Perhaps Nathaniel was praying there. Perhaps he had the lowest moment of his life there. Perhaps he asked God a profound, I, I have no idea. But something significant happened to him there. This isn't just any story under a fig tree. There's, he knows there's something happened. And Jesus says, you know that time you were there, I saw you. All we're getting here is like this window into Jesus' approach with Nathaniel. This side of heaven, I don't think we'll ever know what Jesus is referencing. But this statement completely undoes Nathaniel. Verse 49, Rabbi, teacher, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now, but notice it took a lot for Nathaniel to get there. 
He had a lot of questions. He had a lot of doubt. He had skepticism. But he still came and saw. And Jesus was okay with that. So my statement for us is if you're skeptical, come and see Jesus. If you're skeptical of him. Perhaps you're here and and maybe no one around you knows it. But you're full of questions and doubts about Jesus. That's okay. It was okay for Nathaniel to come and see Jesus. And he didn't yet know how he really felt about the whole thing. Now, to be fair, right, our questions are probably not the same as Nathaniel's. I don't think we're worried about Joseph. I've yet as a pastor to have someone bring that up to me as a reason not to believe in Jesus. Or Nazareth, for that matter. But we may find ourselves wondering whether that's allowed or just to ourselves. Can anything good come from the Bible? Can anything good come from Christianity? Can anything good come from the church? Because perhaps you're here and you are burned out, you're let down by one or all of those things in your life, or you've only heard bad things about all of them, and you're having a hard time getting past that. What I want you to hear me say is you are not alone, and it's not that unusual. Nathaniel had his issues too. We can be grateful for Philip for inviting skeptical Nathan to just come and see. And you may have a Philip in your life too. But it was allowing space for Jesus. It was, it was to come and see him. That's the moment that changed Nathaniel. If, that's, if, if you find yourself resonating here, I, I want to say two things to you. First, this church is a place that welcomes questions and doubts. That's who we long to be. I know for some of us, we either grew up in or were, were early on exposed to a version of Christianity where those kinds of things were not welcome. It's like, here's the answer, don't ask any questions. Okay? Nathaniel wouldn't have done well in that church. Okay? This isn't that place. That's not who we want to be. In fact, if you aren't following our, our church blog, we send out a, an article that one of us writes every Saturday in our, in our email. It's also on our website. We had a skeptic who is attending our downtown campus write a blog for us. Uh, which was really brave of him. And, and, it, and it deals with the, the questions that he still wrestles with. But here's how he ended it. I love this. He said, I, have a, I still have a lot of exploring to do. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep going to church. Hey, that's our heart. That's what we want. That kind of place. Second, my experience with Jesus, okay, me personally, I often come to Jesus with questions and doubts and concerns or frustrations or confusions or paradoxes that I don't know what to do with. And I, and I often will come to Jesus and say, Jesus, solve this for me. And sometimes he will. Sometimes that's through a, a book or a conversation or an insight in prayer and in, in, in silence. That, that happens. But like Nathaniel, most of the time, what he does is, is remind me who I am and who he is. So if you're skeptical, bring your questions, but come and see Jesus. He may not give you the answer to everything you're asking. Notice with me, Jesus doesn't address anything about Joseph or Nazareth with Nathaniel when he meets him, right? Totally different conversation. What I have found, and I think this is what happened to Nathaniel too, is whatever questions or doubts I bring, what I have found and continue to find is Jesus is still 
the best answer to the most important questions I've ever asked? I think you'll find the same. And to all of us, all of us here, Jesus makes a a kind of a final promise here that John wants us to see. Uh, I'm running out of time, so I'm leaving out a couple of details here. But he says to Nathaniel, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Okay, Jesus isn't just talking to Nathaniel there. He's talking to anyone who would follow him. If you're willing to come and see Jesus, whether that's for the very first time, for the hundredth time, for the thousandth time, Jesus promised stands. He says, stick with me and you will see greater things than these. Now, John himself is going to show us a few of those. We're going to see Jesus lifted up on the cross. We're going to see him bursting forth from an empty tomb. John is the same author who wrote Revelation. He says, you're going to see him one day to re- returning to set all things right. But wherever we are in the midst of our story and our struggle, in the midst of our lives, Jesus is saying, you will see greater things than these. No matter what testimony, you could stand up here if I asked you to and give about the faithfulness of Jesus in your life in the past. And by God's grace, I've heard a lot of these stories. Okay, Jesus saved my marriage. Jesus met me in my lowest moment. Jesus healed my body. Jesus walked through my darkest valley, my darkest grief with me. Jesus taught me through my greatest struggle. Jesus loved me in my greatest failure. Whatever in your life would make you fall down and say to Jesus, just like Nathaniel, Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus, I think, would smile and say back, you're right, I am those things. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Stick with me. You'll see greater things. Let's pray to him now. Father, I pray for each one of us in this room that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to come and see Jesus. Push us beyond our real questions and doubts that we bring. Push us beyond our indifference, our cares for the world, our distractions, our worries, our our anxiety about the little things. Push us beyond even our good, our best intentions to see Jesus and to receive his promise. Open our eyes even this week. No matter who we are, no matter what we think of your son Jesus, open our eyes to see those greater things. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.